the pathological person will use, exploit, lie, or betray to get their needs met for money, power, pleasure, and status. That's it. You are a tool on their tool belt. Do we think narcissists actually are capable of love? I am the biggest believer in love. I think life would be meaningless without relationships and love. And some people are not capable of. Now, we might feel infatuated, but that doesn't mean this is your soulmate. Slowly, these are the red flags over time that emerge because initially, they usually wear a very good mask. The word con man actually comes from confident. They can delete you. They don't need you anymore. And you're just gone. You're like a file on a computer. Trash. The big silence. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. Karina here. So happy to have you here. Again, hanging out with me this week, the second week of January. I will tell you, this is my new year. This is my start of new year. I feel like for a lot of people with the holidays the way they were and um, kids out of school last week that this is the week hitting the gym, eating healthy, getting back to work and crushing it. I am here with you. And also, Tone It Up. I'm joining the Tone It Up Refresh and Reset Challenge. It's starting January 15th. So join me in the Tone It Up app for new workouts. Check in with me. Uh, You can get all of the info at toneitup.com. All right, let's dive into this week's guest. I'm very excited. It's Dr. Nadine Bacaluso. You may have known her as, guess what? Margot Robbie played her in The Wolf of Wall Street. Over the holidays, I was watching The Wolf of Wall Street. I hadn't seen it in many, many years. And I was like, what is she up to these days? I did a little Google search. And Dr. Nadine is now, it has a master's in counseling and a PhD in somatic psychotherapy. She works with women who want to be free from narcissistic abuse. She teaches about trauma bonds. In her office, it's just drawn a lot of women that she helps. And she also has a book called Run Like Hell. This is a good one. Lots of stuff to go over, uh, lots of tips and takeaways. And I hope you enjoy it. And of course, if you know someone in your life who could use some advice on narcissistic abuse, share this podcast with them. All right. Much love. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast, Dr. Nadine Macaluso. I am so excited to have you. Hi. Dr. Nadine has a PhD in somatic psychology and a book out called Run Like Hell, which I'm very excited to dive into and talk about it, and especially with narcissistic personality disorder. But first, yeah. so you're from Brooklyn. And you commented, I am. you commented on my Instagram post about dancing. So what was yeah. it like growing up in Brooklyn? You know what? Brooklyn in the 70s was the most amazing place to grow up. Mm-hmm. It just was. My childhood was very carefree. Uh, there was no social media. There were on all these crazy phones, right? And the internet and everything that we were dealing with. It was just much more like you went out on the street and you played. Same. Yeah. I mean, that was, right? yeah. Isn't that so interesting growing up when you just went on a bike yeah. ride? Your parents didn't know where you were. You just went nope. and you played and you had fun and it was free. And it was fine. And it was fine. And we all, you know, came home in one piece <laughs> and it was and it was great. And I was raised by a single mom who was very into psychology. 
So she turned me on to Freud and Jung at a very, very early age. So we were always talking about feelings and psychology. So that's really where the seeds of psychology got planted into me. Right. So then you're in Brooklyn and I found you because I rewatched, what is the movie? Sorry, I'm like blanking. The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Duh. duh, Everyone's seen it. I watched it back in 2013 and then I was just, you know, it's winter and the Christmas tree is on and I'm just like chilling at home. I was like, oh, let me rewatch this. And I watched it. And uh, I was like, what is Nadine doing now? And (laughs) I Googled you and I was like, oh my gosh, she's a psychologist, which is so interesting how then you got into psychology and, you know, in the work that you do now helping others with what your experience that you went through. Yes, yes, yes. And And I would have never imagined that, you know, I went back to school at 39. I mean, I met my ex-husband when I was a baby, you know, a baby in the woods at 22. And we'll go into that. Um, but I went back to school at 39. Uh, just I was meditating a lot, living in Manhattan Beach, as you know. Yes. We talked about that and drinking green juice and doing yoga and doing all the things. All the Manhattan Beach things. LA <laughs> thing, too. Yeah. And I said, you know, therapy, I had been in therapy my whole life because I went into therapy right when I met my ex-husband because he was so nuts mm-hmm. and our lifestyle was so insane that I was like, I got to get into therapy. And so I realized that therapy had saved my life. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to school to do it, not ever thinking that I would have this mission of helping women leave trauma bonds. It just emerged. Yeah. That's interesting too. I I know I got back into fitness as part of my healing. And then I was like, let me share that on how fitness can be so healing. And I love the fact that you went back to school at 39 because a lot of women or people might think, well, no, this is this is just where I'm old. Yeah. 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 No. And it's um, and that's why I always say the age that I was. And then I got my doctorate. I finished at 45. You know, and now I'm 56. My birthday's Christmas Eve. I'm going to be 56. And, you know, I feel like I'm just hitting my stride, right? So to all of those listeners out there that, you know, let's like, we got to get rid of ageism. Mm-hmm. I agree with you that. Know? Yeah, you can you can go back and do things at an older age. Yeah, and I've been having a lot of those conversations too with guests or friends and about having career shifts or just major shifts in your life as you yeah. hit 40 or what, you know, right? and how it's okay. And it's amazing. You can keep going and keep doing and keep reinventing. So I think yes. that's yes. very important. So let's go back to Nadine at 22. So at 22, so because I was raised by a single mom in Brooklyn and I didn't grow up wealthy at all, and so I need money because my parents weren't exactly like, you know, footing my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I became a model, not because I wanted to do it. It was just, I literally needed money to live and it made sense. I was close to New York city. And so I started to do that. And, you know, when you go and when you're in the city in the winter, then you go to the Hamptons in the summer. That's just kind of what happens back East. And I went to the Hamptons just as the movie showed. And I went to this party on the beach mm-hmm. and I walk into this big house and there are all these people on quaaludes that I had no idea <laughs> that they were all on quaaludes. They were acting really strange. And I said to my boyfriend, these, this, something feels off here. Yeah. And um, 
It just, and that's how I met my ex-husband, just like the movie says. Yeah. Was the movie pretty accurate? Because I know you didn't yes. write the script because your no, ex did. But, but it was from Jordan's narrative. It was yeah. very accurate. Like even a scene where like uh, one of those guys exposes himself to me, like that really happens. And that made me leave the party. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, this is weird. I need to get out of here. I don't feel safe. Right. And so you're in this relationship, you get in there and coming from, you were, your mother was very big into psychology and you learned so much. So why do you think you were attracted to this person? Well, you know, so I was 22. He was 28. He was so handsome. I grew up in Brooklyn. He grew up in Queens. We both came from, you know, more, maybe he was a little bit more middle-class than I was, but very similar socioeconomic status. We really understood each other and he's beyond charming. Yeah. I mean, the most charming. When he wants to turn it on, he turns it on Mm -hmm. and he did. And he pursued me and the love bombing was insane. Mm -hmm. And it gives new meaning to the word love bombing. Yeah. And we'll talk. I want to talk about that more. Yeah. And I just felt, and we just, you know, he, he set me up paid someone $15,000 to have me meet him. Mm. And this woman kept asking me to go out. And I was like, this is so weird. Why does she want to go out with me? But they set it up and we went out. And honestly, we just got along. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 22 and all the the fun that you must have been having, the parties, the glitz, the glam. And then there's always, you know, what's behind closed doors. And then all of that. And how long were you married? So we married for about seven to eight years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 22 to 30, I left him. Yeah. Yeah. So without going into too much of that story, you can go watch the movie if anyone hasn't seen it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 10 year anniversary. Yeah. Now you're an expert with dealing with narcissistic personality disorder and love bombing and trauma bonding and all of this. So the one thing I want to start with is now as you've learn so much. How do you recognize if you're in a relationship with someone who has NPD? Right. So, well, there's a few different ways that you can do that. But, you know, I have a trauma bonds assessment on my website. And what happens in this sort of relationship is that you'll feel something called intermittent abuse. So when you're with someone who has narcissist who has a personality disorder, because I call them pathological lover. I don't just say narcissism because yeah. I think narcissism is too light, it's too light of a term. And intermittent abuse is where someone's, let's say, nice maybe 40% of the time and helpful and generous and kind, but then 60% of the time they're cruel, selfish, and controlling. Mm-hmm. So so it's that mix of those extreme behaviors that actually creates the bonds in a trauma bond. And so when you start to fall in love with someone, as you start to fall in love, if you quickly feel confused, if you notice their words aren't matching their actions, if you notice they want to monopolize you, right? If you notice they have the same exact interests as you, right? So there are certain things that you start to notice slowly. These are the red flags over time that emerge because initially they usually wear a very good mask right of being charming confident the word con man actually comes from confident and that's right? like, is that also the love bombing portion yeah the love bombing is 
so much attention, so much admiration, a lot of words like, uh, you know, you're my soulmate. You know, you can't be somebody's soulmate two weeks in, yeah. right? You're the love of my life. You're the air I breathe. I can't live without you. Those are extreme words to use within a month of meeting someone. Now, we might feel infatuated and we might have a lot of dopamine and oxytocin running through us. And it might feel exciting, but that doesn't mean you're, this is your soulmate. Right. And I have some friends who have dated men who, you know, or as we are talking about right now, and yeah. they're like, well, of course I'm amazing. Of course I like I, you know, why would I not believe him when he says all these things? Because I believe that of myself. So someone who has confidence and then yes, they don't, you know. Yeah. So how yeah, also, you know, when I was you have to remember when I met Jordan, nobody was talking about this. Right, right. We didn't know love bonding, trauma bonds. You know, even when I was in therapy, my therapist back then wasn't saying to me, oh, you know, you're in love with a narcissist. Right. And I was, we just didn't talk like that. And how smart of you, even back then, going to therapy when therapy wasn't what therapy yes. is today, to know that you right. needed to go there. So what yes. back then would a therapist say was going on and to try to help you heal? How was it different back you then? Know, I, I have a lot of um, thoughts about this, of course, today, now being a therapist. Yeah. You know, I yeah. wish my therapist would have been a lot more direct with me mm-hmm. and said to me, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but yeah. she didn't. She was an excellent therapist. And she was really helping me more manage the situation and connecting me back to myself and actually, uh, you know, kind of supporting me and setting my boundaries. But there was no... Um, talking to Jordan, you know, yeah. it didn't matter what she told me to do. I wasn't dealing with a very normal person. Yeah. You yeah. know, so yeah. I, yeah, I'll give you a quick example. You know, my daughter was two at the time and I wanted to really be a parent to her and, and it was hard to, you know, the terrible twos and my therapist said, well, you know, why don't you tell Jordan you need him to parent with you? And I said, okay. And I went back and told him, he's like, I can't do that. I was like, well, that didn't work, right? So, but therapy was great because it did just, I think, keep me grounded and solid. And I didn't just totally fall apart. Yeah. So then you go through this relationship and, which was traumatic. And then you go through your healing process. And for someone who's had a similar relationship, and I believe this could be romantic, friendships, business partners, there's so many ways, but how long? Is it to heal or do you ever heal? Oh, yeah. You can recover from a toxic, dysfunctional relationship. And I think it takes about two years Mm -hmm. to really kind of find your footing again because you have symptoms of loss of self, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to really go on a journey of rediscovering who you are and learning about yourself because when you're in that sort of relationship, you're so focused on the other person. Yeah. And right. Make- so you, yeah, like what are they doing? Where are they going? Why are they saying that and responding to them and trying to please them and, and walking on eggshells around them? So I think that you do recover, but it takes time and it really starts with you turning the mirror back on you. Yeah. I've had some relationships like that and it, it takes time to. Takes time. You're so used to, well, when we go back to, uh, you were talking about the different percentages of like this X, um, percentage that they're yeah. really nice to you. And then this is when they're right. abusing you. And then that always pulls you back in. 
So yeah, into that yes. relationship. So I think it's important yes. to, re- and you're like, oh, okay, well, they're being so nice to me today. Um, yeah. It's okay. Things are great. Right. But yeah, the healing process of then getting used to not calling, not talking. And like uh, yeah. when you are in for you for such a long time, seven, eight yeah. years, it's a lot to let go of a relationship of someone who is such a big part of your life. And for you, yeah. the father of sure. your children. Of my children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the research shows that... um there's a there's an assessment called the five factor model of personality or the big five and it measures people's personality traits and i write mm-hmm. about it in my book and the research shows that women who score very high in agreeableness as a trait or conscientiousness as a personality trait mm-hmm. often these men are drawn to them mm-hmm. and stay these women stay trapped easier because these people are, these women are very pro social very loyal very tolerant have real integrity. They think that they can make things work, right? So that also, that's why it's very important to understand your personality traits, understand your attachment patterns, understand how you're wired for love so that you get to understand yourself. Like, why did I stay? Mm -hmm. And not to ever blame the victim, right? Because we certainly are victims of a controlling, abusive person. But it's good to understand yourself. So to never fall prey to that again. Where can you find that test? So you can find it. It's called the five-factor model. Okay. And I give it to every single one of my patients that comes. But actually, I have it on my website. Okay. Right now, it's drnae.com. And it's called the five-factor model. And I connect everybody to a site called Brain Manager. Okay. Where you can take the test. It's about... 240 to 300 questions. And then in 20 minutes, they give you your results. Okay. So if you're listening, go to the show notes. We're going to find it on your website and link yeah. it there. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's important to know because, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because a lot of times we're blaming the women. Yeah. You know, and they already feel so, I've already felt so much shame for enduring right. a relationship like that. Right. Yeah. And everybody was like, you're so codependent. And then, no, I'm not really like the the research shows different. So there's a lot of um, misinformation out there. Yeah. And you started writing your book in 2010, correct? I, well, I wrote my, I wrote my thesis in your 2000. Thesis. Okay. Yeah. And that got me writing about my relationship because I think writing is another way to process, right? Pain. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why right? I wrote my memoir. I was just like... You did. Okay. It was just more of like just letting it out, right? Right. And releasing. That's why journaling is so important as well. Exactly. That's why journaling is so important, for sure. Yeah, no. So I I started to write this a few years ago because after I opened my my practice, so many bright, kind, beautiful women were coming in married to these pathological people. And by pathological, simply means mentally unwell. Yeah. What was percentage of women actually get out of that relationship and run like hell? Yeah. Well, it takes four to seven times to leave. Women attempt to leave four to seven times. And that's a good thing. I don't know the statistic actually on that. So I never give information that's not research-based, <laughs> yeah. but I will look that up. Um, but what I do when I work with someone that's in a trauma bond is um, I'm with them in it. Yeah. When they want to leave, it has to come from them. Yeah. 2024 is off to a great start, and I hope you're feeling the same way too. 
One of my goals for this year is to step up my healthy nutrition game. With the holidays behind us, I'm more focused on making healthier food choices. And for me, this means more healthy home-cooked meals that Bobby, my five Pomeranians, and I look forward to eating. Thrive Market to the rescue again. I'll be following the Tone It Up January Challenge nutrition plan, and I can get most of my ingredients delivered to my home. 2024 is definitely all about convenience for me and having high quality groceries delivered quickly. It's perfection. It's easy to search and filter on thrivemarket.com and you can find anything you're looking for, whether it's high quality pantry items, low sugar alternatives, organic kid snacks, pet essentials, the palms love the healthy doggy beef jerky by Shameless Pets, or meat and seafoods and even wine. You can curate your shopping experience. Plus, what I love is that Thrive has the one-for-one membership matching program. So you join, they give, and now that's what I really love about Thrive. Our entire family, plus another family, is happy, healthy, and well-fed. Plus, if you join Thrive Market today, you'll get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. So go to thrivemarket.com slash the big silence. Can you explain the exact definition of trauma bond? Sure. So a trauma bonds is a toxic dysfunctional relationship that has two conditions. The first one is intermittent abuse, which I explained mm-hmm. earlier, which is the mix of the kindness and the cruelty in the extreme amounts and the extreme experiences of it, which actually bond you to the person. And the second thing is a power imbalance. You have to have a power imbalance within the relationship where one person has the power over the other person and abuses it. And so the way I, and they also have power over the person usually because they've instilled fear into the person by intimidating and dominating them. So it has to have those two conditions for it to be a trauma bond. But the perpetrator or the pathological person will use, exploit, lie, or betray or hurt their partner to get their needs met for money, power, pleasure, and status. Mm-hmm. Stat. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You are a tool on their tool belt. Right. And then... I know I've described before that kind of someone with nar- who's a narcissist is they can delete you and you just, they don't need you anymore and you're just gone. Right. You're like a file on a computer. Trash. Yeah. 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 Or I say that like there's like a conveyor belt of women and they just take them off. Yeah. Right. They just, because we're objects, we're not subjects, we're not people. Right. Right. And that's why they can exploit and use and betray and lie and not have remorse or compassion even when they do those things. Mm. It's a very, very painful, painful situation, a trauma bond. Yeah. And so you were you and seeing your counselor and they yeah. told you that if you don't leave this relationship, you'll get cancer. Yes. Let's talk about that and about yes. know, the stress on your body and what you're going through. Yeah. So, you know, when, you know, trauma is, the very definition means wound, Mm -hmm. but trauma is any situation that overwhelms us, right? And we don't have the resources to deal with it. So there's a shock trauma, like a car accident, a tsunami, Mm -hmm. or there's relational trauma, right? Which is what I experienced. And you can experience it as a child too. But the thing is that when you're experiencing constant stress, What happens is that you get highly inflamed, which affects your immune system, right? Mm -hmm. Which affects your whole physiological self. So do I agree with what that woman said to me? I think that was a little harsh, (laughs) but it did shock me to the point that I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of this. And that really 
I mean, I was obviously leading up to that point, but that kind of was the thing that snapped me. Yeah. And then how do you, so someone listening who's in this relationship and this many years later, how do you feel? And are you able to find love again and trust again and find the right person? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the hardest part. One of the hardest parts is not even just trusting another person, but also trusting yourself to make the right decision. Yeah. Right. And that's where you have, that's why you have to do a lot of work on yourself because then you have to build up the confidence to be able to date Mm -hmm. after you've been decimated. But there are green flags to look for too. What are the green you know? flags? And and when I first met my current husband and we started to date and we had a disagreement, like all relationships do, and we started to get into some conflict. And he was like, oh yeah, I hear you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this cannot be possible. Yeah. You hear me? You hear me. Okay. All right. So big green flag. Mm-hmm. Or he wanted to do something with a house. And I set a boundary and it was like, no, I really don't want to live there. He was like, okay. And I was like, oh my God, I could set boundaries. Oh my gosh, my opinion matters. Yeah. Or, you know, I was sick and he was taking care of me and he could meet my needs. My needs weren't ignored. Yeah. Versus someone saying, like, you're not really sick. Just go right. do this. Go right. take care of the kids. Go, why aren't you doing, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So those were some real, like someone can hear you. Someone can allow you to set boundaries. because Someone can take care of your emotional needs. And then slowly but surely, trust has to be earned. Mm-hmm. We can't blindly give it. Yeah. What are the top two red flags? The first one is when you try to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like my ex plowed through my boundaries. Oh, just get so upset at you. Like, how could you do so this? Ups- like, this? Yeah. Yeah. I've had that. Yeah. Not with right. my just, boyfriend. Just, yeah. yeah. But, but just gets really plowed through my boundaries. Also extreme anger out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Just like it could be not, I could think it was nothing, but it, the rage and the fury that would come at me was like a tsunami. Mm-hmm. And I didn't didn't really understand why. And I think substance use. Mm-hmm. Substance abuse is a real red flag. Yeah. Words, words not matching actions. Yeah. Right. Those are those are the four that I would really look for. And and trusting your gut, you know, not overriding this doesn't feel right for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about co-parenting with an ex who was a narcissist? Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. even having children. And yeah, I, I asked that because I have a really close friend who is was married to a, a narcissist for 17 years. And she's out, but she's got two teenage kids and co-parenting. Yeah. And it's really hard. Yeah. Co-parenting can be hard. I was very lucky. Um, it was not that hard for Jordan and I, surprisingly. But what I, when I work with people in regards to co-parenting with somebody like this, who always needs to be right, always wants to win, you know, actually gets jealous if they think the children love you more or give you more attention. I mean, all of these crazy things is again, to be connected to your authenticity because you don't want to please them. 
right. but you don't want to rebel against them, mm-hmm. right? You want to just keep coming from your authenticity and putting the kids first because the children were not asked to be born. Right. They are here and it's your job to protect them and do it the right way. And a colleague of mine, Dr. Christine Cocciola, if anybody's struggling with this, she has a beautiful program called Protective Parents. Okay. And you can find her on Instagram or on the web. And that's really her area of expertise. Right. You know, and it's important to get expertise when you're dealing with your own children. Yeah, it is. So can we talk about somatic psychology and exactly yeah. what that is? Yeah. So somatic psychology is really, as we know, we talk a lot in therapy, right? Mm-hmm. As Freud called it, the talking cure. but in somatic psychology, we're really also listening to the body. We're connecting the, our patients to the body. We're reading gestures. So we're really including the body in the clinical encounter and taking it into consideration because the body doesn't lie or as Bessel van der Kolk, beautiful book, right? The body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. And so we're bringing the body into the clinical experience. We're not just listening to the words. So what does that mean exactly? So like I could be working with somebody and I will be talking. All of a sudden I'll see their eyes go to the right. Mm -hmm. They won't talk during that moment. I'll say, where'd you just go? Mm -hmm. So I'm tracking their physical movements and they'll usually tell me a whole thing that we would have just skipped over. Or their foot, like they're in therapy and they're talking the whole time, their right foot's tapping. And I'll say, if your right foot could talk, what would it say? Mm-hmm. Right. Or they'll be in the moment in therapy and they'll tell me something they're feeling and I'll make them pause or ask them to pause and say, where do you experience that in your body? Let's be with that. Yeah. And then let's see what emerges. So we're always connecting back to the body as a resource and as a point of information. Yeah, well, that's great. I know I've been in therapy before and a therapist is like, where do you feel that? And I'm like, right here at my throat. Like, I yeah. can't, I feel yeah. like I can't speak. Like, it's tight. Like, right. And that's right. That was yeah. one of my biggest things overcoming is having a voice and being able to speak truthfully and speak up for myself and all of that. So is that the name of is that why you named your podcast The Big Silence? Well, The Big Silence is, you know, it's about mental health and self-development. So yeah, it's all the things yeah. surrounding mental health, the stigma, having a voice and yeah, yeah just all the things yeah. that you don't in the past don't want to talk about or didn't talk about or didn't right. or the stigma was, you know, too much to talk about. And growing up with a, yeah. a schizophrenic mother, never talked about mental health or mental illness. Oh, yeah. Especially back then. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's, that's I'm sure that was very challenging. Yeah. So big silence is just about making noise and talking yeah. about anything and uh, yeah. allowing that yeah. voice. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my book, too, is to break the stigma even around toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. Right, because a lot of time the trauma bonds victim is isolated and doesn't want to talk because of shame, embarrassment, shame. Yeah, yeah, and it's not your fault, you know. And you just have to, in my opinion, unprofessional opinion, yeah. But you just have to learn about yourself and what you're kind of drawn to. And I actually, this comes up. I have some community questions, and it kind of goes into this. 
one question here. It says, how do I stop attracting narcissists in my dating life? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't see, but see, you see already in the question she's right. taking, right? Yeah. We're already taking the blame. And there's a beautiful book by Lindsay Bancroft called Why Does He Do That? Mm. I highly recommend it to anybody who's struggling with narcissistic people in their lives. And abuse is always the fault of the abuser, mm-hmm. right? So if you're drawn to people that are larger than life and charismatic, and uh, extraordinarily competent, they also might be carrying things that you're not carrying so much in yourself. And so a good tool is to get curious about that. But I would never, I don't ever blame the victim for, you know, like you fall in love, you know, and I write this in my book that anybody and anyone and everyone does fall prey to people like this. Yeah. So this is an interesting question here. After dating multiple toxic narcissists, how do you stop being bored in a normal, healthy relationship and detach from toxic patterns? Yeah, I had that last night in a group call. Yeah. This, this, is a, this is a very common theme. Yeah. Well, I guess you have a choice here to choose drama over peace. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that um, boring is good. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you still don't feel excited and you don't feel in love, but it's very hard to have a good career, be a good mother, be a good friend, even if you're constantly dealing with a dramatic person in your life because they're all consuming. Yes, absolutely. All consuming from the moment you wake up until then. So kind of really looking at your own self-talk and catching yourself when you're saying I'm bored, right? Like changing the conversation to I'm embracing the peace in my life. Yeah. It's okay. I know. It's okay. And I've had a couple of relationships that have gone away this year and people around me are like, you feel really light. And so that's one of the things that you, once you get through that relationship, there's this lightness and more calmness and you're not constantly yes. anxious. And That's right. That's right. That's right. Right. And I always say your peace is priceless. Yes. All right. You know, as you sure it gets better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just, yes. Maturity, getting older, understanding people, yeah. you learn your boundaries as you, as you grow yes. and it's really important. So uh, another community question. People loved this. I've got two more here. Do we think narcissists actually are capable of love and caring for you? Or is it usually just another game and another victim and they move on to the next? We kind of touched on this already. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't use the term narcissist, so I'll switch it to pathological person. Do I... Listen, I'm the biggest believer in love. I spent my life studying love, Mm -hmm. right? Good love, bad love, healthy love, unhealthy love. So I think it's what makes the world go round. I think life would be meaningless without relationships and love. And some people are not capable of it. Some people are not capable of it because if you think about it, when you love somebody, not only do you hate to see them suffer, you're certainly not going to intentionally make them suffer. Yeah. And if somebody is intentionally 
harming you, not having remorse, not having compassion, not having accountability, they're not capable of love. Do you think that's because something in their childhood? Yeah, I think, you know, Lindsay Bancroft says it this way. Um, I'm going to talk about men specifically living in the patriarchy. They feel entitled, they feel superior, and they don't have a moral compass. Mm -hmm. And that can be from having too much love or too little love. Right. So if your parents like love bombed you and you were a perfect child, you got everything you ever wanted. And so then you have this sense of entitlement. entitlement. Yes. Yeah. And then if they didn't and they emotionally neglected or abused you, then you have a hole. Mm-hmm. Right, that you're looking to fill a lot of times with outside things. I mean, I'm saying it very simply. Yeah. And then also, if you're living with a dominating, intimidating, threatening person, which is at the control is at the bottom of a trauma bond, it's a lot of times it's learned behavior yeah. from their home. Yeah. And I, I know that most likely they aren't going into therapy. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, have you ever had someone come to therapy for you? Because you're more on the female side of women leaving. I've worked with with men that, I listen, like I always say, I wouldn't be a therapist if I didn't think people couldn't change. Yeah. And I have seen men with more borderline foundations Mm -hmm. change because they do want to bond and they do love. They just have a very dramatic and erratic way of showing it. Yeah. But yeah, I have seen some people change. But again, you have to want to change, as you know. Yeah. And change is very hard and a lot of work. And and if this person is getting all their needs met for money, power, pleasure, and status, they have no motivation to change. Right. 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 Why bother? Yeah. Dang. That's why I wrote my book is because these things are very complicated. Yeah. I'm learning a lot more in my relationships as an adult. I'm 42 now. And I realize yeah. these friendships that I even had. And yeah, yeah. And that comes to the next, uh, the last community question here. Yeah. How do you stop making friends and attracting narcissists in a, a friendship? Uh, rela- yeah. Relationship is great, but I'm making poor friendship choices. Yeah, you know, I think you have to look at your values and what do you value? Yeah. Right? Sometimes some friends can just be a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and they could be a great, great people to go out with and social, but they can be very draining, very demanding, right? Or they cannot just be the best listeners and be supportive of you and validating. So I think it's like... Going back to your values, there's a lot of value exercises all over the internet. And I think I sent one out about Christmas and creating your own traditions. You know, as adults, we get to figure out what are our values and do we get to experience those values in our friendships? And if we don't, then we have a choice to make. Yeah. As as it sounds like you made this year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. That's not easy. Yeah. No, but... I'm just a little old boring Karina at home now. <laughs> and you know what? It's probably nice. And you know, here's the thing. And I and I want to say this before we wrap up. You know, I've been studying relationships now probably my whole life. Yeah. 
right? I got my master's, got my doctorate. I even took a two-year postdoc training on a somatic theory that's all about developmental trauma. Relationships are very picky, I mean, tricky. And nobody teaches us about them. Right. We go to school to learn reading, writing, arithmetic, right? The other R we need to learn about is relationships. What is a healthy relationship? What are boundaries, right? What is healthy connection? You know, and so that's why I love being a therapist because that's, you know, and of course it impacts my life because I like having healthy relationships. I love it's really important. We should be teaching our children that. Like that yes. should be a course. I, well, I'm always an advocate of uh, teaching children about mental health, self-talk, confidence. And, That's right. And I've worked with NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, and yeah. gone into schools teaching about mental health and signs of yourself right. or a friend. Like these are important things to teach the kids because when I was growing up in the 80s, 90s, and no one was talking about it and mom is schizophrenic and I attempted oh, suicide yeah, and like, oh, all, but no so one, pretty. like it, well, you know, I'm just happy I'm here. And this is why we yeah. do the work that we do right. now yeah. to make the yeah. change. But we need programs in school. I never thought That's about right. just relationships. Yeah, just relationships. They are the most complicated things in the world. Yeah. You know, like, luckily I have a beautiful relationship with my children, you know, mm-hmm. and my grandchildren now, well, they're babies. But I mean, and my husband, like, but it takes work and it took me to be fully educated. Yeah. To really learn how to do that. And I was blessed to grow up with a mother who had instilled that into me, right? So that it wasn't weird for me to go to therapy, you know, 30 years ago. But that is why you and I are even having this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Even with my husband, once we got together, you know, he went to his, he started doing therapy or he in the beginning was like, no, you know. But right. he's learned like what a gift therapy is and that therapy, is. you can do preventative therapy or if you're having an issue and learning that yeah. disagreements yeah. in relationships are okay. And, yes. you know, as long they're going to happen. Yeah. Right. We, but we don't teach people that rupture and repair are inevitable. And how do we do that? Yeah. Right. And so we're so programmed by our childhood unconsciously. I always say, and then God played this trick on us. Then we have to spend the rest of our lives undoing what was done to us. But we're worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Nadine, for this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we got to do this. I am too. And we will put everywhere to find you in our show notes. And make sure you get the book, Run Like Hell. It's a very important message and a lot of people need to read it. Yes, yes, yes. And I put my heart and soul into it and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. I don't know that I'll do that again, but yeah. I'm glad. Because you probably had to work through a lot of, go back to some of the emotions of the past as well. Yeah. And just, um, it's a hard topic to write about. It's not exactly butterflies and rainbows and unicorns. Yes. You know, and also like meshing all the research. Yeah. Because I tell it through story through four different couples, right? So people don't fall asleep when they read it. The stories keep the clinical aspects alive. So it was just hard, but I'm glad I did it. We can do hard things. We can. Right? That's right. Everyone out there, remember that we can do hard things and you are not alone. That's right. You're not alone. But thank you so much for having me on. 
Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. The Big Silence. The Big Silence. The Big Silence.